Well, Tony, you said that just like we practiced. <laughs> Appreciate so much to be here with you tonight. This congregation is such a pillar in the community here and also in this whole area. And uh, we are thankful to be in association with such godly elders, with Tony and the good work that he is doing, and uh, appreciate the invitation to be here with you tonight. The topic of interest tonight is why we worship without mechanical instruments. And this is something that is very important to us because of the digression that we have seen in recent years particularly where folks are starting to add instruments into the worship assembly. You know, we come together regularly every single week to do one of the most important things and one of the most difficult things in our service to God. We meet with the same people. We meet at the same time. We do the same thing. And that's what we're doing right now. As we assemble here, we are assembled to worship God. And for some it can be very monotonous because it's something that we do so routinely that we may have even forgotten the proper way that we are supposed to worship Him. Maybe it is we just go through the motions like the Pharisees did in Matthew chapter 23, or we think that just because we have been to a worship service, that means that we have worshipped God. That's not necessarily true. Just because you go to a store, does it mean that you have to buy something or that you have bought something? You, you can go in there, you can look around, but it doesn't mean you bought something. You can come into a church building and you can present some form of worship to God, but it may not be what God desires in His Word. God has demanded that we worship Him in a spiritual way. And when I think about that, it reminds me of John chapter 4 where Jesus met the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. And He spoke with her and He tried to take her from thinking about physical things to spiritual things. He did that as He led her away from the physical water of the well to the living water. And then as you read on in John 4, 20-24, what happened was that she was still thinking physically when she thought Jesus was a prophet. And she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and you say that it's Jerusalem. That's the place where men ought to worship. Jesus responded by saying this. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's taking her again from that physical mindset to the spiritual mindset. And He says, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. Then He says, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus stated some great truths there. He said, when you worship God, think about the right object is God that we worship. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship idols. We don't worship angels. But you worship God. And when you worship God, you do so in spirit. 
You do so with the right attitude, with the right mindset about you, and not with insincerity, not with indifference at all. And not only that, but he says you do so in spirit and in truth. We use the standard of the Word of God. This is our rule, Galatians 6.16. We don't go by how we feel in worship. We don't go by what we want to do. We don't go by any human invention. But we go by God's standard of truth. When you think about worship, there are five avenues that we use. We think about preaching or teaching and giving upon the first day of the week, taking the Lord's Supper upon the first day of the week. You think about prayer and you think about singing. The five avenues of worship to God that are revealed in the Holy Scriptures for us. And I would say that those five avenues are challenging to most of the religious world. They struggle with the truth. And especially in the area of singing. One well-known denominational preacher said this, We are often so caught up in our activities that we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Now, even though he doesn't worship correctly, he realized that there is this mentality in the world where we tend to play at our worship because most people do not understand that God's Word is our authority and the only authority for us. That whatsoever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17 Whatsoever you do, whether you're talking about your practice, your teaching, whatever you do, you do it by the authority of the Lord. When you call Jesus Lord, you're saying He is my supreme authority in life and I recognize that all authority has been given unto Him in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28:18. And so that designation of Lord is something we do not take lightly in the Lord's church. Our worship is something we do not take lightly in the Lord's church because we do not want our worship to be in vain. Jesus, in talking about the Pharisees, quoted from Isaiah, and He said, This people draweth nigh to Me with their mouth, they honoreth Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. But in vain they do worship Me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. I don't want my worship to be in vain. I don't want my worship to be ignorant worship, as Paul witnessed when he went to Athens and he saw all of the idolatry there. And he came up and he saw an idol there to the unknown God, it said. And he said, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you ignorantly worship, Acts 17. I don't want my worship to be my own will, but God's will. Paul spoke to the Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 23 about that when he said that they had a worship that looked like wisdom. They had humility that looked like humility, but when you got down to the heart of it in their worship, there was no value whatsoever. Now, there are folks out there, as we're concerned with what God has said about music and Christian worship today, folks that say, well, the Church of Christ, they don't have music. Well, yes, we have music because we sing, and singing is music. 
And then they say, well, the Church of Christ, they don't have instruments. Well, yes, we do have instruments. Every one of us has an instrument, and we're going to learn that instrument is the heart. But what we do not have, what is not authorized, are mechanical instruments of music in the worship of our Lord today. You say, well, why can't we go by what everybody else is doing? It seems to be the popular thing to do today. There's so many folks out there who are very sincere. They're very good people and they worship with all kinds of instruments and and they make it look good. Jesus said that the wide path is one to destruction. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And many there be which go in thereat. That means the majority is not always a safe guide. And someone says, well, what about the Old Testament? You know, there were instruments in the Old Testament, and and David, he used instruments in the Old Testament. Why can't we do that? Simply put, Jesus died to abolish that. Ephesians 2.15, where the Bible says that Jesus abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in Himself of twain one new man so making peace. He rendered that old law idle. That means we can't follow that law today. We have a new and living way that we follow. And that's where we get our authority. I'm here to tell you tonight, the fact is that we gain our authority by what the Bible says and not by what the Bible does not say. We think about that as we answer the question, why don't churches of Christ use Mechanical instruments of music and worship. There's three reasons. One of them is because of faith. Another, because of fellowship. And finally, because of fear. Let's talk about the faith aspect here. Romans 10.17, a passage most of you may be familiar with, which says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That means if I don't hear it, if I don't read it in God's Word, then I don't have faith in it. Because faith comes by hearing, and what do you hear? You hear the Word of God. Again, Hebrews 11.6 is another passage that says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, we use this passage a lot of times in telling folks that you've got to have faith in order to become a child of God. And that's the first step in becoming a child of God. Well, really, this is spoken to Christians. Folks who have already put on Christ in baptism, and here they are being instructed that they need to have faith. That's for us too. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Singing then is what the New Testament commands for us in our worship. Hebrews 13.15 says that by Him we offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips. As we've sang these songs already, and beautiful singing by the way, we've offered the fruit of our lips unto the Almighty God. It is a part of our worship to Him. Something He has commanded us to do. And over and over again, we read about examples of singing in the New Testament. 
Think about how Jesus and His disciples, they sang a hymn. They went out into the Mount of Olives, Matthew 26.30. You think about Acts 16.25, as Paul and Silas were in jail. Yet at midnight they were singing praises unto God. Romans 15.9 there proclaims, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. 1 Corinthians 14.15, I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Ephesians 5.19 where it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Colossians 3.16 where you're teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Hebrews 2.12 In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. James 5.13 Is any among you Mary, let him sing psalms. So many verses in the New Testament that talk about our singing unto God. What's the one thing that is missing from all of those passages that we just mentioned? The one thing missing is play. In all of those passages you heard the word sing, you never heard the word play anything. And what's the one word that's missing as far as our worship in song is concerned in the New Testament? That one word is play. You're never going to read that in all of the New Testament. Why don't churches of Christ use mechanical instruments? It's because of faith. The instrument that we are to use is specified for us in Ephesians 5.19. I told you we all have an instrument, and that instrument is the heart. There in Ephesians 5.19, where the Apostle Paul says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now this verse is one of the verses that instrumental music advocates like to use. They'll take this verse and they'll argue with it saying the word making melody is the Greek word solo. And they'll say that Greek word solo means to pluck upon a string. And so there you go. Right there Ephesians 5.19 says to pluck upon a string and that means that you can play an instrument in the worship assembly. Solo does mean to pluck a carpenter's line, a bow, or even a Musical instrument. But when you come over to Colossians 3.16, which is the parallel passage with this, instead of saying making melody in your heart, Paul says singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I like what W.E. Vine had to say about the word solo. He said the word solo originally meant to play a stringed instrument with the fingers or to sing with the accompaniment of a harp. But later, however, and in the New Testament, it came to signify simply to praise without the accompaniment of an instrument. Think about what it means if we're going to argue that solo means to play a musical instrument. That command, speaking to yourselves, that's all of the congregation, all of us, 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, that's a command for you and you and you and you and you and me. And if we are to say that singing is a command for everybody, and then we go on and say making melody is a musical instrument, then that also means that must be a command for everybody as well, which means every single person in the worship assembly must be singing and playing an instrument at the same time. Now that would be madness. God saw fit to give us the instrument to give us a voice by which everybody can praise Him and teach one another. McClinic and Strong said, though some contend that Solane allows the use of the instrument, if such is the case, it's strange that the early church fathers make no mention of instrumental music in their worship. Now, the early church fathers are those who lived during the time period of the early church. They were not inspired men. But they wrote down some history and they never mention anything about the church using instrumental music in worship unto God. And so what are we to think about all this? Singing and making melody in your heart. There's the instrument. There is the command for every single person. That's what can be offered by faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. What have we heard? We've heard that we've got to sing and pluck the heartstrings, if you will, in our praise to God. I think about an example from the Old Testament, that of Cain and Abel. Where you go back to Genesis chapter... Uh, 4, verses 3 and 4, and you learn that Cain was what we would say a farmer. And Abel was a shepherd. And it came to pass that they needed to give something to God, and so Cain and Abel both brought their offerings to God. The Bible tells us that Cain brought the first fruits of the ground. That was good. You know, here's my harvest and I'm going to bring the first of it unto God. And so he takes it to God and Abel, he brings of the firstlings of the flock. And he takes this offering unto God. Now, here's what the Bible has to say. God had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not. Respect. Now I thought that God was not a respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 God doesn't choose one person above another person. That's true. But when it came down to Cain and Abel, the Bible says that God had respect to Abel's offering, but He didn't have respect unto Cain. So what was the difference? It must be that Abel's Offering was given by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.4 says just that. By faith. Faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing the Word of God. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaks. Abel speaks to us today in saying you offer your offering to God by faith. 
Whatever it is God has commanded you to do, you do it. When you hear it, that's what you're going to do by faith. It must be then that God told Cain and Abel what He wanted. And Abel listened to God and offered by faith. Nowhere do you read in the New Testament and the Old Testament that Cain offered anything to God by faith. But it was Abel who did that. That teaches me something about what I give to God in worship. Some folks say, well, you know, I understand that the Bible says that you sing, but there's no harm in adding an instrument. God didn't say not to, did He? If I were to tell you to go down and get me a pepperoni pizza, and you go to Pizza Hut and you pick up a pizza and you get one with pepperoni and Italian sausage. And you, and by the way, I hate Italian sausage. And so you bring that back to me and I open that up and I say, hey, you didn't get me what I wanted. And you say, yes, it's a pepperoni pizza and there's Italian sausage on it too. I thought you might like that. You didn't do what I asked you to do. I said, I want a pepperoni pizza. And by saying that, it excluded everything else. God says, I want you to sing. And by saying that, it excludes everything else. We can't say, but I thought you would be pleased if I brought a guitar in here. I thought it would make you happy if we put an organ up here or a piano and we had a band. God says, Sing, and that's what we learn by faith. Secondly, the reason why we don't use mechanical instruments in worship is because of fellowship. John said, Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. But he that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him God's speed, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Paul wrote to the Romans saying, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the teaching of Christ that you have learned, and avoid them. You can go throughout all of the New Testament and you're never going to find instruments as a part of worship to God. It's a doctrine that's not of Christ. The church worshiped for over 650 years without any mechanical instruments at all. They were introduced in the year 670 by Pope Vitalian in Western Europe. Now, where did those instruments come from then? If they did not come from the doctrine of Christ, it means then that they came from the doctrine of man. In Matthew chapter 16, you have Jesus with His disciples there. And Jesus issues a warning to His disciples. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, the disciples were innocent. They were confused about this. And they thought it was because they had forgot to bring bread with them. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. 
And Jesus said to them, No, it's not about all that. Don't you remember how that I fed the 5,000 with five loaves and how that I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves? It's not about bread. Then it dawned on them. Matthew 16, 12 says, Then they understood how that He bade them not to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. If Jesus were standing here before us tonight, He could easily say, Beware of the leaven of denominationalism. Beware of the leaven. It can creep in very slowly. And before you know it, you could be worshiping with instruments because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, Galatians 5.9. Beware of that. Beware of the strange doctrines that are out there. In fact, Hebrews 13.9 talks about those, those things that are diverse and those things that are strange. And the Hebrews writer says, don't be carried away with those things. The things that are not authorized by God. Back in the New Testament, you have an example there with Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus chapter 10 in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they took either of them a censer and they put fire therein and incense thereon and they offered strange fire, unauthorized fire is what it means, before the Lord which He commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Why did God send fire out to Nadab and Abihu to devour them there before Him? It was all because they did not worship the way He wanted them to worship. They offered unauthorized worship to God. God has not commanded mechanical instruments of music and worship. And so we can look at the example of Nadab and Abihu and we can say that those things are strange fire. And if we use them, we're going to be cut off from fellowship with God. Remember, if you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you cannot be with God. You cannot have fellowship with Him. You cannot have fellowship with the saints either. James would say, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James 4.4 Why do we not use mechanical instruments of music and worship? I suggest to you that it's because of fear as well. Solomon wrote, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12.13 Fear God 
Have a reverence for Him. Have that moral fear knowing that we could suffer if we do not follow His commands. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10.31. And when you think about mechanical instruments of music and adding them into worship, it is just that. It is an addition, something that God has not commanded. God has commanded us to sing and to play the strings of our hearts. That's what we're reading about, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. And so when you add something else to that, you have changed the command of God. Someone says, well, no, they're, they're really just an aid. We, we bring them in to aid our singing and our worship. You know, there are some things that are aids to us. We, when we take the Lord's Supper, we have communion trays. There are several different cups inside the tray. Those cups are aids to us. God has commanded that we meet upon the first day of every week and that we partake the Lord's Supper as a memorial of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we take that fruit of the vine in a little cup. Is it a sin to use the cup? No, because we haven't changed the command. It's an aid for us to fulfill the command. What about somebody that gets up with a pitch pipe and they blow the note before they start singing? Is that changing the command to sing? No, it's an aid to allow us to get that note in our head and then to go on with the singing. It's not changing anything. But when you get up and you bring a band in, you bring a piano in, you bring any other mechanical instrument in and you start playing them and singing at the same time, you have changed something that God as commanded. Friends, it's fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing for us to add unto His words because at the end of the Bible it says, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. All of the blessings of heaven and the wonders there that God can give to us. He says you're going to be taken away from all of that if you add to His Word. Because when you add to His Word, you're rejecting Him. And John 12:48 tells us very seriously, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. Again, you have Nadab and Abihu for an example as there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. Why? Because they added to God's word. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Number 16 speaks about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, that it came to pass that what happened was that Korah, Dathan, and Abiram came up to Moses and they said, you're taking too much upon you, Moses. We're just as holy as you are. We need to have some authority here. You're taking too much authority for yourself. So it was that one day that 
Moses said, well, we'll see who is the true and rightful one to have authority. And it was that Moses said, if these men die a common death, then you're going to know the Lord hath not sent me unto you. But if a new thing happens and the earth opens up and swallows them, you're going to know that they're the ones that provoke the Lord. So even while Moses was speaking, he made an end of those words that the ground clave asunder and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. Their houses, all of the men that appertained unto Korah, all of their goods, they and all that appertained to them, they went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them. They perished from among the congregation of the Lord. Why? Because... They disobeyed the commands of God. And God saw fit to punish them. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In 1894, a sad thing happened in the Lord's church. It was in Thorpe Spring, Texas, at Adran College. What happened was, they were having a gospel meeting there. And the preacher at that particular gospel meeting was one who was known to bring in instrumental music to influence people to do that. And so a Christian man by the name of Joseph Clark was in the assembly at the first meeting and His son, Addison Clark, was the president of that college, and he got up, Addison did, into the pulpit to begin the meeting. And as he did, his father came walking down the aisle with a piece of paper in his hand. He walked straight up to the pulpit to Addison, his son. He took the paper and he handed it to him. It was a petition with over a hundred names on it, including his father's name, saying, The New Testament does not authorize instruments, mechanical instruments of music in worship. Addison looked at it. He talked to his brother about it. He came back to the pulpit and he stood there and announced this. He said, We are going to have an organ in this gospel meeting because I have promised the students here that we would have instrumental music here and I'm not going to go back on my promise. Then he looked over at the lady at the organ and said, Play on, Miss Bertha. Over a hundred folks walked out of that assembly in tears because of a man-made addition to the worship of our Lord. Something we ought to think about today is found in Acts chapter 3 as we consider well, as we consider the things that are written here and things that we have spoken about tonight, how that there are serious consequences found for us if we do not obey the gospel of Christ. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 makes this statement. It says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, that's Jesus, like your brethren, like unto me. 
Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever He says unto you. You hear Jesus in all things that He says unto you, and it shall come to pass, listen, that every soul which will not hear that prophet Jesus shall be destroyed from among the people. If you don't hear the Lord, there's punishment that's coming. Have you submitted yourself unto our Lord? Submit yourselves unto God, James 4, 7. You do that by hearing His Word. Remember, a faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. You do that by believing it as well. You do that by repenting of all of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. By confessing the name of Christ before men, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. By being baptized to have all of your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. And living a faithful life even unto death. That includes the way that we worship God too. And if we do not follow God the way that He wants us to, it's a righteous thing for Him to punish us, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9. And when Jesus comes again, He'll take vengeance on them that know not God and those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of our Lord. If you're a New Testament Christian tonight and you've wandered away, somehow you've allowed sin to come back into your life, maybe you realize your worship hasn't been right and you need forgiveness, you can come back too tonight. If you have a need, will you come while we stand and while we sing?